If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. This episode of the Leading Learning Podcast, Jeff, you had the chance to talk with Josh Goldman, who is the Vice President of Learning at the Ohio Society of CPAs. I did, and Josh is somebody who I've known for a number of years. He was even here in North Carolina for a while at the North Carolina uh, CPAs, and he moved over to uh, Ohio a little while back. Ohio is actually known as being one of the the more forward-thinking and innovative of the uh, state CPA societies, so it's, it's a great place for Josh because I've always thought of him as somebody who is thinking ahead of the curve. He's willing to think outside the box, to use that old cliche, and to try out new things. And one of the new things that the uh, Ohio CPAs uh, have been trying out is 10-minute continuing professional education. So 10-minute chunks of learning for which you can actually earn CPE credit. So we talk about that. Uh, We talk about what's on the horizon in general and what Josh sees as the the biggest opportunities out there, not just for his own organization, but for associations in general. And I love that idea of micro-learning. So let's keep this brief and get on to the interview. This is Jeff Cobb, and I am here with Josh Goldman, who is the Vice President of Learning at the Ohio CPA Society. And uh, Josh is one of those guys where when I when I get an email from him in my inbox, I know it's going to be something good. He's either going to be asking a great question or giving me a great resource, so I actually welcome those emails in my inbox. And, and Josh, I welcome you to the podcast today. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here. Well, let's let's kick off the, the way we usually do here. Um, you know, you're at a, a, a CPA society, uh, specifically the Ohio uh, CPA. So maybe, maybe you can tell us just a little bit about what your organization does, and then what your role there is as the uh, as a VP of Learning. Certainly, uh, we're the Ohio Society of CPAs, obviously a state-based um, individual membership organization, and we represent uh, the diverse interest of about twenty thousand um, CPAs and those that work in the what we like to say the sphere of influence of the CPAs uh, in Ohio. And so my role is uh, overseeing our learning department, uh, and that is traditionally what you think of as uh, maybe an education department, but we put on a multitude of in-person, online, and blended learning events in Ohio, close to 50 conferences, 120 seminars, 120 on-demand programs, and a number of uh, webcasts and, and other learning opportunities. So you're you're up to a lot there then, um, and, and I know that's that, we are yeah yeah and I know that's common particularly with the the, the bigger uh, uh, state CPA societies and you know we, we've been emailing before this and uh, I don't want to put too fine a point on it but I said you know one thing that I wanted to ask you about is the fact that you've got that title vice president of learning and the fact that you know in, in the first place a vice president um, a lot of societies a lot of associations in general don't have VP level positions for their education and learning departments and only goes up to director so you're you're kind of up, up there above the director level um, but then also and then maybe this is even more important um, you're not a VP of education you're a VP of, of learning so I'd like to ask you you know what what kind of distinction do you make between learning and education and then how does that impact how you think about your job um, certainly uh, I, I feel this question a couple of times when people have heard about my new title it's relatively recent uh, we did a restructure of the department and organization probably about six to eight months ago and mm. we are really shifting it toward learning and away from continuing education or CPE or education as you noted uh, a number of departments um, are, are named uh, differently 
Um, and it's not necessarily a flavor of the day. I think people can look at that and say, well, you can name a department anything. But what we're really trying to do is, is shift a direction that I believe matches to what's happening in the marketplace. And our members, and I would imagine many associations members, are really taking a, a fine look at human capital and figuring out how they are best positioning their human capital to drive their mission, to drive their objectives, to drive their organizations forward. And when I think about learning and education and the difference between two, those two things, I really sum it up in terms of inputs versus outputs. Education is what's being done to someone, mm. and learning is what we are hoping is actually happening in that space or that environment that we're creating for our members or for our customers. So learning for me uh, is really focused on the participants, facilitating that learning process, and helping them make meaning out of that. It's focused on the customer. It's focused on the outcome versus necessarily the input. So it sounds a little more a little more collaborative in nature than the traditional kind of stand-and-deliver type of approach that you get in, in education. I think so, and I think it's also shifting the viewpoint. Um, I'm not asking what do I need to do for the learner today. I'm really thinking about what they're looking for, what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, and how we can be supportive and helpful in that from an education, training, and learning perspective. Um, so it is a little nomenclature, and it's definitely a fundamental shift in the, the approach of the process that we take. Now, I will say that this is um, really an early stage for us of a strategic shift to be more of a learning organization. Um, we're changing our entire staffing structure, our infrastructure, all of our needs analysis and delivery processes to shift to that alignment of being more of a learning organization. And, and interestingly enough, it, it's, it's matching or at least keeping pace with what we're seeing in our own membership. A number of the public practice uh, CPAs that um, work in public accounting firms, those firms are also beginning to look into the corporate space and hiring se- senior level learning professionals to join their staff and think about how to maximize human capital, how to maximize learning and training in their organizations. Mm, that's interesting that you're seeing that happen. And now, I know you know in the in the world of, of CPA societies, Ohio is one of the ones that I think is viewed as is a little more cutting edge, a little more progressive. Um, you know, you've made this shift already. I mean, when you look out there in general, and I don't just mean with you know CPA societies, but just you know more broadly across the the association, the the society world. Uh, I mean, are, are, do you feel like you're seeing a, a shift in kind of the level of authority and, and strategic importance that that learning and education function has within associations, or, or are you way out there at the cutting edge and, and you're not seeing others come along quite as quickly? I don't think we're way out there at the cutting edge. I think the conversations are starting to change and shifting away from um, purely a traditional uh, meeting or event organizational perspective to uh, how do we provide the most value? And mm-hmm. I, I think all associations are asking themselves that right now. Um, I, I don't know many that aren't going undergoing some kind of programmatic assessment or review of, of membership models, programs and services, mission, vision, values, uh, and particularly in those revenue-generating areas um, that probably have uh, seen a little bit of a, of a slip over the past few years as a lot of competitors enter the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Everyone is asking themselves, how do I add the most value there? And, and I think we're trying to approach that from a uh, not 100% unique perspective. Um, we just may have the foot on, our, on the gas a little bit more than some other organizations at the moment. Right, um, right. Broadly, uh, broadly saying that, that that commitment that we see, that's going to be one of those unique value propositions that we think can um, solidify that relationship and the, the value that we're trying to provide there. Right. I, I don't think we're on the cutting edge. Lots of organizations are having similar conversations. 
Well, I know, I mean, particularly in the CPA world, and this is, I think, true in the legal world and in the medical world as well, where there's this, uh, you know, the issue of maintaining a professional credential and having to have the continuing education to do that, that um, competition in those markets has grown much more quickly, I think, than, than in other markets. Um, mm-hmm. And it'd be interesting to get your perspective is when I, when I first met you years ago, you were at the um, college and, and university housing officers uh, association, a, a CUHO I, I think that's uh, mm-hmm. what the uh, acronym was. Um, you know, and, and since then, you've worked with the North Carolina CPAs. Now you're at the Ohio uh, CPAs. Um, I mean, how, how is it different? I mean, what's distinctive about learning and education in the CPA market as opposed to, you know, maybe some, some I'm assuming maybe a Kuho I wasn't quite as competitive uh, in nature, but just, you know, how, how's the CPA market different in general, do you think? Yeah, certainly. Um, I was certainly, I was definitely surprised by the amount of competition in the market space, and I think that's uh, by nature, uh, any market or marketplace that um, requires continuing education will see an immediate increase in competition. Mm. And so the the attorneys, the uh, the CPA world, maybe the medical space world as well, and a few others, um, there there is a a high degree of competition in the space that I, I never dreamed of before I entered the CPA space, having come from the, the higher education world. Um, that was the most surprising thing. Um, the second was is that I see our our members um, are some of our own competitors as well. Mm. Um, they're very savvy, and they see the value in positioning themselves as a thought leader, and so they will offer um, education uh, courses complementary to other CPA firms that they want to partner with on potential projects or to CPAs who work in industry because they're interested in um, getting business from that industry or that vertical market. Uh, and so that content, what I would call content marketing aspect of education, mm-hmm. uh, has increased pretty significantly. Uh, I, I see them, honestly, as, as one of our um, top competitors as well. So we're, we're trying to serve them, uh, but we're also seeing them as a, a competitor in the marketplace. And that's interesting. I mean, and have you had to up your own content marketing game as a as a result of that? We have. Uh, we have upped our own content marketing game. Um, we definitely try to position ourselves as a thought leader in Ohio, as well as a thought leader nationally on the issues that um, uh, impact CPAs. You know, p- particularly coming from the view of CPAs that that work and live in Ohio. Uh, but we do spend um, time and energy and resources on being a thought leader for the CPA profession. And, and what what form does that take typically? I mean, are you blogging? Are you doing podcasts, videos, things like that? Uh... Yeah, we have a number of, of the traditional communication channels, uh, YouTube videos, blogging, um, uh, service on a number of national committees that are providing input on um, regulatory or legislative affairs, mm-hmm. a strong commitment to advocacy, both on the state level and the national level. Uh, so a, a lot of... Um, a lot of content marketing that way and a lot of thought leadership that we're trying to provide to the space. Interesting. And I know too, um, you know, just talking about educational content itself, you've been among a, a small group of societies that's created something of a stir with the idea of doing 10-minute CPE or c- continuing professional education uh, offerings. Um, how, how, how big a deal is, is that uh, for you, I mean, is it, do you see things heading in that you know just micro learning direction in, in your world? Um, and is it something that I, I, everybody should be doing? 
Uh, I do. Um, it's already old news in the corporate learning space. It's called on on the job training, um, uh-huh. where you can access a library of videos that really address a specific issue that you're trying to learn more about, or you need a refresher on X, Y, or Z topic. Um, CPAs are just late to the game, frankly, or, or I'm sorry, the the regulations surrounding CPAs and learning and what counts for continuing education is behind the adult learning. Um, pace. Uh, we led the way in working with the Accountancy Board of Ohio to adopt CPE in um, as little as 10-minute increments. And I just returned from a national meeting um, where we believe a similar standard will be promulgated um, at the national level. Uh, I feel a number of questions there from both supporters and detractors of the concept of nano-learning or micro-learning. And, and to the tr- detractors, a lot of the conversation was around, well, can you really learn anything in 10 minutes? What does this mean from the compliance um, aspect in terms of having to keep track of all of those 10-minute increments that you're watching. Uh, to the ones that say you can't learn anything in 10 minutes, I asked most of them if they had ever read the Harvard Business Review, read an article, and found something valuable in that or learned something from that article. Mm. And I said, well, the, the average time it takes you to read that is about 10 minutes for the average um, HBR article. And that, you know, that kind of stunned, uh, stunned those individuals that were more the detractor and having concerns in that space. You know, for us to really provide value and learning, uh, we have to adapt as learning providers. Uh, we're just not going to, from a, a revenue or business model perspective, um, survive if we don't think about how we can better serve CPAs in business industry, uh, given the complexity of the workplace that they're working in, the issues that they're dealing with on a daily basis, if we're still utilizing um, archaic methods of, of learning and training. Um, as a learning professional, you know, we should be supporting, adopting, and offering those different ways to, to enable them to learn better and more efficiently. Right, right. And of course, I mean, you, you need to be thinking about that from a learning perspective and, you know, as you're saying, the realities of, of adult learning. You've also got to put a business model around that as well, though. I mean, how, how have you addressed that with the, uh, the 10-minute uh, type CPE? Yeah, and for us, the the move toward micro learning and encouraging the ten minute incremental CPE was, was not necessarily about a revenue model. Mm. It was about encouraging flexibility um, in the designing of learning activities and, and learning programs. Um, now that we have a micro model in place that's approved, I can begin to offer more robust blended learning programs. I could think about libraries of just in time learning, um, maybe subscription style learning, or even adding micro content. To to existing programs and using that as a learning reinforcement activity. I think um, a state-based organization like myself would have a difficult time monetizing a concept of micro-learning, but I believe micro-learning could be an incredibly valuable additive to an existing learning strategy that you then drive revenue or business model through those other things that you're doing, but you're using micro as a value-added opportunity to that. At the end of the day, the push for the change in regulations for us um, was about encouraging more flexibility in learning design. Mm, okay. Yeah. Look, I, I don't. I don't um, encourage or really want a CPA to take all 120 of the continuing <laughs> education requirements uh, in 10 minute increments. Yeah, yeah. But do I? Yeah. Do I believe that there's a valuable place that micro um, can play in that space? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. No, you you wouldn't want uh, yeah your your CPA doing all of his or her uh, CPE standing in line at Starbucks, you know, over the over the course exactly. of the years. <laughs> um, exactly. They're doing some of it that way. I think is uh, incredibly convenient. So, I mean, micro learning or nano learning. I mean, that, that's obviously one shift uh, that um, that you're seeing. I mean, what are some other things that, that you see going on where you you're just really excited about the possibilities going forward? 
You know, we're just starting some conversations about a shift from compliance to competency. Mm. Um, and the compliance, I think, has come from the, the mandatory CPE requirements that CPAs have, and, you know, a lot of other professions have that, uh, which, frankly, I think has put a down pressure on the, the learning um, in the space. Uh, mm. If we're really, really, truly honest with ourselves, most of what is in the marketplace is compliance-driven, and, and it's not following adult learning best practices. And, frankly, it's really subpar programs and services. Um, but because there's this compliance mindset generally around it, not not all, and I'm not trying to stereotype an entire profession, um, but it is definitely there and present. And I'm really excited about some of the conversations that we're having at a state level and a national level regarding competency and how do we really focus on not on input and counting the number of hours and classes that you attend, but really how do we encourage competency? How do we encourage self-assessment, individual learning plans, and those kind of more, I would say, sophisticated learning activities that at the end of the day uh, could really, really add some value and, and, and disrupt and change a marketplace for the better. And do you have a sense that, uh, that your learners are going to be receptive to that? Because, I mean, I know on the, on the surface that sounds great, and I think most of us would nod our heads and say, yeah, you know, we'd love to be doing that. But on the other hand, you know, you need your 40 hours of CPE credit, and, you know, in, in the case of the CPA world, you need to be able to check those boxes. And in the meantime, you've got billable hours, you know, that you've got to deal with. So how, how receptive do you think the, the audience is to, to that? You have nailed the critical question. I don't know. Mm. I don't know because it, because from the um, ivory tower of an educational learning professional, we want everyone to want to put a lot of time and energy into learning. But you and I know when we're both sitting at our desk trying to just get through what we have to do today, tomorrow, or this week, that's not always at the top of our, our mindset. So I, I think we have to find a blend and a balance um, that is about improving um, their work life, their business, their outcomes, their objectives, um, but also shifts a little bit away from the – um, just checking the box and something that I have to do. And and that's one of the discussions that we've had um, regarding the micro-learning. Uh, a lot of firms and certainly some of the large national firms and a lot of corporations are already doing micro-learning. So the change in the regulatory perspective on that just means, okay, now I can give you credit for learning that you're already doing. All right, All right. And, and so, you know, you've got micro-learning, um, you're talking about uh, pursuing competency, and I, and I think there is, a, you know, there's a lot of interest in competency out there right now. I mean, in the academic world, uh, there's the idea of competency-based education really playing a, a much bigger role. Um, what, what other opportunities, you know, when, when you think about just associations in general and the role that they, you know, do play and could be playing with respect to lifelong learning. Um, I mean, what are the big opportunities you see or do do you see areas that you think people aren't maybe paying enough attention to uh, at this point where there are opportunities? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of conversation right now about human capital, human capital management, a lot of conversations about talent management. When we talk with our members about what are the things that they're most concerned about, it tends to be complexity in the regulatory space, how much information they have to keep up with on a daily basis, and then the third one is actually talent management, Mm. recruitment, retention, succession planning, performance management, learning and development, essentially aligning people to the business objectives of the organization. And I don't see a lot of associations um, offering robust opportunities in that area. Uh, And it's something that we're exploring. Um, We don't have answers yet, um, but we're beginning those conversations with our members about what, what that could look like. And does something like that, in your opinion, you know, require, um, 
I guess more talent actually on association staff, more subject matter expertise, because you're you're talking about you know potentially engaging at a fairly deep level in, in the learning that goes on in organizations. Uh, I would think so. I would think so. We're still in those conversations with our members about what they're looking. You know, uh, our CEO talks a lot about you have to have market permission. Is mm-hmm. OSCPA the place or the space that our members are looking to for? certain problems, issues, or opportunities. And we're still exploring whether that whether we have market permission to act on those challenges of those opportunities that they have and try to provide program services, products, or solutions. Um, I think we have to start there, and then we begin the discussion of, okay, what does that look like, and, and how do we begin to um, build capacity or competency in that area? Or is it an area where we even attempt to build capacity or competency, and what works better is a partnership opportunity? Well, I definitely like that idea of being tuned into uh, market permission. You don't you don't hear a reference to permission marketing. I think enough uh, out there in the, in the lifelong learning world. There's just too much. Uh, we'll build it, and they'll come. Uh, sort of uh, mentality. Exactly. You know, Once you figure out a, a good way to understand if um, someone has market permission, please um, please let me know. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll definitely work on that one. It's something we you know we're always striving for ourselves. Now I, I bumped into you recently at the um, ASAE annual meeting, uh, and, I, and I was there walking the floor and looking around to see if anything was interesting. Did Did you see anything there that, that jumped out uh, at you from a you know learning or education perspective? Um, it, it goes back to our discussions about talent management. I saw a number of technology providers that um, have been in the talent management space and are bringing unified platforms to market mm. and appear to be focusing in the um, association vertical space that way. Um, so a number of our members use a particular talent management platform, and this is the first time I've seen that platform um, exhibit in the association space. So I, I think um, that lends support to my idea and what our members are telling us that talent management does um, uh, cause them sleepless nights, and they're looking for solutions and opportunities there. So this would be something like a, a cornerstone on demand, who I noticed uh, was there and has not typically been there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I'm also seeing some other um, technology platforms in the in the space as well, looking at more of a unified system, not just a learning component, but how do you align that with performance management? How do you align that with goal setting, with um, other SAP type uh, services? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's interesting. You're seeing that in the uh, CPA space. I'm not. I'm not surprised, and we've been seeing a lot of that in the healthcare world as well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. the other. Oh, I'm sorry, Jeff. The other thing okay, that yeah. uh, struck me as interesting as ASAE is the number of organizations that are looking on the other side of the fence and the grass over there. And what I mean by that is trade-based organizations looking at individual or hybridized models, and individual membership organizations starting to look at trade-based models. Um, I found that interesting. I, I'm not educated enough to really, I think, discuss that at length, but I, I found it surprising at the number of those conversations I overheard either in sessions or in conversations at tables. Yeah, I think that is an interesting shift, and it, and it does have um, definitely ramifications uh, within, within the business model um, uh, aspect of, of education, we've found, because you know a lot of individual societies do actually have an opportunity to really to act more like a trade and, and, and go into institutions with institutional solutions um, mm-hmm. for the type of education they're providing. So I think I think we're going to see uh, some interesting things happen in that area over, over the coming years. Mm-hmm. Well, as we're starting to, to wrap up here, I mean, we've been talking about, um, you know, the CPA world and, and your work uh, at Ohio and, and other places, but um, what, what about in your own life? We, we always like to, to 
ask people on the, the Leading Learning podcast, you know, what what are your own key lifelong learning habits that, you know, help you to keep up and, and stay ahead and thrive in what you're doing? Certainly. Um, uh, number one, I'm a voracious reader, um, both in the traditional paper or print version, but also online. Uh, and I really try to follow um, two different um, segments, I would say. One, I try to stay abreast of anything related to the best and brightest in the learning space. So I'm following um, people like uh, Burzen with Deloitte, uh, mm-hmm. a number of individuals on LinkedIn, certainly paying attention to, to what you're putting out. I'm trying to always read about what's going on in the corporate learning space, so ASTD, a number of those other organizations. Simultaneously, even three years in, I, I continue to be surprised by how much I don't know about the CPA profession, even three years into working very closely with the profession, just how complex and complicated it is, what our members have to actually do on a daily basis, not just know, but what they have to do in their jobs. So I'm constantly trying to stay abreast of what's going on in the profession, reading as much as I can there, and I begin to establish appointments with our members where we can I can just go in and, and discuss um, what's going on in their business, what's going on in their world, what they're concer- concerned with, what they care about. Uh, you know, not the traditional member visit, but really trying to better understand what their day looks like and not always trying to provide a program, product, service, or solution for it, just going to seek understanding. I think that's so incredibly important and just uh, doesn't happen enough. Uh, just having those kind of, you know, really kind of informal conversations uh, with your members and customers and, and listening and, and just seeing where they lead because uh, you can get some of your best ideas from that. So good to, mm-hmm. good to hear you doing that. Do you have, um, I haven't asked anybody else this on the, the, the podcast, I don't think, but, you know, you're talking about reading, you know, tracking different things. I mean, do you have any technology tools that you know help you with that i mean are you like an rss reader type of guy or you know anything like that tend to be an rss reader feedly um Mm. i do like feedly um i do have some certain things set up on on rss pushes in terms of keywords uh, but typically more the the feedly route okay yeah i'm a huge fan of feedly myself i I organize everything in there so hope my account never goes down (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly um well, great. Well, well, Josh, I really appreciate your taking the time. Before we sign off here, um, uh, d- d- let, let folks who are listening know, how can they you know, connect with you? How can they find out more about the uh, Ohio uh, CPA Society? Certainly. Personally, you can connect with me at jgoldman at ohiocpa.com or Twitter at Joshua R. Goldman. Um, you can reach OSCPA at ohiocpa.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter there as well at ohiocpa. At OhioCPA. Well, great. Well, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure talking with you, and um, I look forward to our, to our next conversation. Great. Thank you, Jeff. Enjoyed it. So that's the interview with Josh Goldman. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 11. And while you're there, you'll see options for subscribing to the podcast, and we really hope that you'll take a minute to, to do that, to go ahead and subscribe. We also would be grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, just go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. And we really appreciate you making that effort. It makes a world of difference in helping others to be able to find us in iTunes, to be able to benefit from the podcast. And of course, it just makes us feel better if you give us a, a nice rating over there. And we also hope you'll consider telling others about the podcast. You can get a pre-populated tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash slash share and if tweeting isn't your thing you can uh, take that text and, and post it on your social network of choice so thanks again and we will see you next time on the leading learning podcast